A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad you're with us on the program today. Yeah, we are going to be talking about the uh, Senate gun deal, which apparently is uh, headed for passage, a preliminary vote uh, on Tuesday night, getting 64 eyes, including uh, 14 Republicans. We're going to be talking on the program today with Florida Congressman Byron Donalds about why he is a no on this uh, Senate gun deal. Not because he doesn't care, but because he says we cannot legislate based on emotion as opposed to facts and data and logic. Before we get to that conversation with the uh, congressman, though, let's talk a little bit about the uh, vote in the Senate yesterday. As I mentioned, uh, 14 Republicans uh, joining all 50 Democrats in voting for this bill, which uh, will spend billions of dollars, uh, apparently uh, by delaying a Medicaid drug benefit uh, for a year. That's going to free up some $21 $21 billion in funding. So you're going to have billions of dollars spent on uh, mental health programs, not just red flag laws, but to other uh, crisis intervention programs, school security. Uh, the problematic portions for gun owners uh, come with the uh, uh, increased background checks for 18, 19, and 20 year olds, where you're going to delve into their juvenile records which because these juvenile records are not a part of the NIC system means that there's going to be, in essence, a de facto three-day waiting period for 18, 19, and 20-year-olds purchasing firearms. And that that could actually extend up to uh, 10 business days. So now you're basically looking at what could be a two-week delay to purchase a firearm if there are issues that pop up uh, in that background check. There's also a, a new definition of what constitutes a uh, a commercial firearms dealer, basically somebody who should have a federal firearms license. Right now, uh, the definition is vague. It's, you know, if you are engaged in the business, uh, this is also still fairly vague, to be honest with you, maybe a, a, a little bit more clarity. But now it's basically if you are uh, selling uh, firearms primarily for a, a profit. In other words, you're not just selling a gun from your private collection, but you are buying a gun with the intention of selling it to somebody and then maybe using the proceeds to buy yourself another gun or two and then use Again, there's no hard or fast definition, which is going to be problematic, I think, in terms of uh, uh, prosecuting uh, individuals who the federal government say should be federally licensed firearms uh, dealers but I think really the the big issue here for a lot of people uh, are either going to be the red flag provisions. And again, the grants do not have to go to set up red flag laws. Uh, there are other crisis intervention programs that will be eligible for these federal grants. Uh, and as I said, the background checks on 18, 19, and 20-year-olds, which will amount to a, a waiting period. Uh, and depending on who you talk to, uh, folks might say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm okay with the red flag stuff, but I don't like the, uh, the, the extended background checks and the waiting periods for young adults. Might have some folks say, you know, that part doesn't bother me, but it's the red flag language that really bothers me. Um, again, at the end of the day, right now in the Senate, it looks like the uh, folks who have a problem with the bill, at least to the point that they're not going to support it, are not going to be enough to uh, prevent the bill from passing. So who are the 14 Republicans who uh, who voted in favor of uh, at least proceeding with the initial debate? Now, again, they're going to try to get this passed 
by the end of this week. They want to get it out of the Senate before they go on recess. Here are the 14 Republicans. Uh, John Cornyn of Texas, no surprise. Senator Mitch McConnell of uh, Kentucky, no surprise either that uh, McConnell would vote to uh, at least to start the debate. He had said that he was, uh, quote, hopeful uh, that they could come up with a bipartisan solution that's directly related to the facts of this awful massacre. Uh, Tom Tillis of North Carolina, who was a part of the Senate negotiations. Susan Collins of Maine, who were a part of the uh, Senate negotiations. Lindsey Graham of South Carolina. Bill Cassidy of Louisiana. Uh, all a part of those discussions. Roy Blunt of Missouri as well. He was part of the uh, that group of 10 Republican senators, four of whom, by the way, are retiring this year, none of whom are up for election this year. Uh, Senator Richard Burr, another retiree who is uh, giving his thumbs up to this deal. Uh, Mitt Romney of Utah. Uh, Senator Rob Portman of Ohio, also one of the 10 who endorsed the framework, who is not running uh, one of the four, by the way, not running for re-election. Uh, Senator Shelley Moore uh, Cabido of West Virginia who was, I think it's fair to say, kind of a surprise vote. Uh, hadn't heard much from the uh, West Virginia senator uh, about this framework or this deal. Uh, senator Joni Ernst of Iowa, uh, also not one of the 10 Republicans who initially supported this framework. Uh, she said she wanted to review the legislative text before making a decision. She, though, had... According to the Hill, quote, signaled willingness to consider raising the minimum age for buying an AR-15 from 18 to 21. Uh, Senator Lisa Murkowski of Alaska as well. Uh, Senator, excuse me, and uh, 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 Senator Todd Young of uh, Indiana, uh, who voted to proceed on the uh, legislation, uh, which the Hill says was one of the biggest surprises uh, to emerge on Tuesday. Uh, Young, a a former Marine Corps intelligence officer, he had indicated, I believe on Monday, that he was hopeful that uh, he could support what was in the uh, final framework. And so, again, those are the uh, 14 Republicans, not many of them up for election this year. In fact, I think Lisa Murkowski might be the only one of the uh, 14 who is uh, facing voters this fall. And, uh, you know, Murkowski has that sort of, quote unquote, independent streak, right, Uh, helping to negotiate the uh, infrastructure bill and uh, now siding again with 13 other Republicans and all 50 Democrats uh, in advancing the Senate gun deal on a preliminary vote. As I mentioned, the uh, final vote likely coming before the uh, senators skedaddle home for the Independence Day holiday. So join us to talk about why he is a no for now on this vote and why he is not a fan, again, of of legislating by letting your emotions take the lead. Uh, Representative Byron Donalds of the uh, great state of Florida joining us here on BarryAndArms.com. Take a look and a listen. Congressman, thank you so much for uh, joining me here on Cam and Company to talk about, uh, well, everything that's going on, quite frankly, uh, including your op-ed at Fox News about why we cannot legislate based on emotion uh, after the tragedies that we've seen in Buffalo, New York, and Uvalde, Texas. I thought your piece, uh, honestly, was one of the, the best pieces of commentary that I've seen over the past few weeks because you do get personal. You talk about your own experience growing up in in Brooklyn, uh, in what sounded like was a pretty high crime neighborhood back in the uh, 1980s and our early 90s. I, I'm just curious, how did that shape? We could probably talk an hour just about that. But how did that shape your view of gun control and the right to bear arms and self-defense? 
Well, I mean, look, at the time, you know, you're, you're a kid. I was 16. You know, I didn't really think much about gun control or, or anything at the time. It was just more, it was a, you know, it was a scary thing that happened to me when I was at that age. It wasn't until I was much older and, you know, especially, you know, getting into the political world that you have to actually start thinking about the real outcomes of these policies. I actually had time between, a lot of time between the event and actually what I learned uh, and really what I learned about the Constitution and about um, human rights, individual rights, et cetera, individual liberties to make a, a, a logical conclusion, to come to a logical conclusion. And, and for me, it was always that, you know, the Second Amendment is there for a reason. It is to be protected for a reason. And even though in in popular America, no matter where you might be, people might be willing to give up of, of that Second Amendment right uh, to maintain a republic, you have to actually defend the Constitution, even at times when it's not popular. And so I've had the ability to detach from the emotional aspects because it was a long time ago, but still understanding what did occur when I was young, but having to do my job now as a member of Congress to, to uphold the Constitution. Yeah, you know, and, and and you're right. I mean, you do have to separate out the emotion, although it's hard to do. I mean, listen, we're talking about, you know, 19 fourth graders who were murdered in a classroom in Texas. This is this impacts everybody. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're not affected by that, we, we should probably, you know, talk. But at the same time, if you legislate based on emotion rather than the facts, rather than logic, rather than looking at, OK, well, what can we really do to try to make a difference here to stop these types of attacks from occurring? Then all of a sudden now, as you say, you're you're saying, OK, well, let's ban our way to safety. Right. Let's just ban the most commonly sold rifle in America today. Let's impact tens of millions of law abiding Americans trying to stop one monster or one madman. Uh, and it seems to me that uh, not only, again, are we in danger of flagrantly violating our Constitution when we do that, but we're probably ignoring, you know, a lot of strategies that can actually have a, a much bigger and, and better impact. Uh, I, t I totally agree. Listen, Washington, and, and for that matter, state governments also, um, all governments really, they all have a habit of legislating um, emotionally to respond to the emotions of of the body politic. But when you're an elected official, your number one duty, and I say this all the time when I'm looking at people running for office, is the number one quality I look for is restraint. Or do you have enough you know, emotional maturity to actually restrain yourself from just doing action just because you have the power in your hands to do so? Uh, do you have the ability to actually take a step back and look at the situation logically and plan out the best path forward from a legislative perspective? Because up here on Capitol Hill, look, there's, I'll give you three examples of, I'll give you two examples of emotional legislation. The first one was the Dodd-Frank uh, financial regulatory reform under the Obama administration. We're coming out of the financial collapse. Everybody wants to blame everybody else. Washington, D.C. wanted to focus on the big banks. They put this massive financial regulatory bill together. What it actually did was make the big banks bigger, and it eviscerated community banks. Everybody knows it here on Capitol Hill, but at the time, Washington was looking for somebody to hold accountable. It was a highly emotional time because the economy was falling apart. Let's not even look two years ago and a year ago. COVID-19 policy, elected officials all through the country were basically responding to a, a real fear amongst the electorate about COVID-19. But instead of looking at the data, 
like Ron DeSantis did and the state of Florida did and the state of Texas did, instead of looking at the data and saying, you know what, yes, there are real concerns, but we can actually manage the pandemic and get our, our economies back open and get our states back open. You had states like New York and California, Illinois, who just shut down for shutting down sake, responding to the emotion. What has that led to? You have children in these blue states who are literally two years behind academically. They may never catch up. And so those are just two examples where you have to take your step to yourself out of the emotions of the public at that particular point in time. Think about logical solutions. This is the key reason why we are a constitutional republic and not a pure democracy, because the framers were very concerned about the whims and the passions of the public at any given point in time. It requires cool heads to prevail. It requires people to maintaining the constitution in order for the republic to continue to be successful. So so what would you say we need to do then? Uh, if, if Americans are saying we need to do something, quote unquote, right, to address violent crime, we need to do something to make sure that our kids are safe in school, and gun control isn't the answer, what should we be doing? Where, where, where should we be looking? Well, a couple of things. Number one is that there are serious mental health issues in the United States. I think that uh, the federal government working with state governments, and I stress working with state governments, um, we need to actually do a much better job of trying to help people get their mental health issues resolved before they turn violent. That's number one. And I think that it's going to take us actually reinvesting in mental health. We used to do that extensively in the United States. We've gotten away from that. Um, I think there's some lessons learned there uh, from stuff that was done in the past, but we got to really reinvest in that. Number two, specifically to school security. Listen, at the shooting in Uvalde, the back door was unlocked. I don't know who left it unlocked, but that door was supposed to be locked according to the Uvalde School District's uh, security protocols. It was not. The shooter basically turned the handle and walked inside. Number three, we're already we're finding out right now today as we speak that the Uvalde Police Department did not engage the shooter, which is the protocol for training. That's been the protocol since Columbine, that you have to engage the, engage the shooters immediately. And so those are some of the failures that occurred the last part is the one where in some, you know, there are people on the political left who are not going to be happy about this. And even some people in the political center who are moderates, whether they're Republicans or Democrats, is that we have to actually take seriously um, having some form of, of, of armed personnel that is trained in schools. I'm not talking about, you know, Sally's third grade teacher, Mrs. Smith, who's 65 years old. I'm, I'm not talking about that. What I'm saying is, is that in Florida, we actually developed a program um, that, where you can actually train uh, school personnel to be sentinels. They would be essentially deputized by local law enforcement. But it's a high bar to be involved in a program like that. Like You have to go through psychological evaluations. You have to go through the necessary training and keep the training up. But we all know the best, the best first responder in these incidents is somebody who is at the school themselves somebody who unfortunately is at the event when these disasters strikes. That's the best first responders that you can ever get. And I think that these mass shooters, the one thing we know about them is they might be, you know, they might be crazy, but they're not stupid. They pick targets that they know are soft targets on purpose. They do not go to places where they where basically they think that they're going to be repelled. Yeah, they're cowards. I mean, look, they don't, they don't want to fight. They want to slaughter. 
right? And as you say, they look for the places where they think they can get away with that and achieve that goal. Uh, Congressman, listen, I, I cannot thank you enough for your time. One last question for you. You sure. know, you talk about mental health, you talk about school security. Uh, both of those uh, are, are part of the Senate agreement that uh, appears to be headed for passage, along with, you know, things like grants to states. They can set up red flag laws if they want, but they don't have to. Uh, you've got, uh, you know, looking into the juvenile records of 18, 19 and 20 year olds, which is going to ultimately mean a waiting period for uh, a young adults who are, you know, lawfully trying to purchase a firearm. Have you had a chance to take a look at the Senate legislation and uh, have you made up your mind as to whether or not you're going to vote for it or vote against it? Well, I haven't taken a look at the whole legislation. I'll tell you, I've, uh, I have real concerns about red flag laws. When I was in the Florida legislature, I voted against the school safety bill because it contained red flag laws. Um, look, the reality is red flag laws take away the Fifth Amendment due process rights of legal gun owners. I understand where people say we want to get guns out of the hands of people who are mentally unfit. I understand that. But in the United States, every American citizen has due process rights. We cannot eviscerate due process rights because of because of our concern that, you know, somebody in the family or a neighbor might have. You have to give people their legitimate ability to defend themselves in the court of law. That is our system of government. Um, based upon that alone, I can't support the legislation. I think the, the the aspects about looking back into juvenile records, I'm actually not opposed to that because, you, I mean, look, you got to understand track record matters here. I think if we're going to start looking at some mental health issues for people who are six, 15, 16, 17, about whether they can acquire guns at 18, 19, 20, you do have to look at um, um, uh, criminal background issues from juvenile time and make a determination on does that mean they should have, be, have the ability to, to purchase firearms. If somebody is is a felon at the age of 18 and not able to go buy a firearm, but if they committed a felony act at 17, they can. I mean, that you know just doesn't make much logical sense. Um, the thing that really concerned me, I think it's out of the Senate package now, was raising the age from 18 to 21. I thought that was a violation of constitutional rights mm -hmm. because you you would say that you know an 18 year old can vote, they can be actually adjudicated as an adult in our criminal justice system. Uh, they can enter our military, they can sign legal contracts, but they don't have the mental capacity to go to a gun store and buy a, buy a rifle or a shotgun. That really made no sense at all. That's that's the emotional legislating that we talked about earlier. Yeah. Um, and so well, those, those are those are my those are my thoughts, my views. But I think but as of now, I'm enough. I, I appreciate your candor. And, uh, you know, I, I know that the, uh, the the raising the age to 21 was part of the Florida school safety bill. That aspect is being challenged in court right now. And I suspect that that issue is going to become before the Supreme Court before long. Mm -hmm. uh, and as you say, you know, you talked about mental health with red flag laws. One of not only do you have the due process protections, but one of you know the problems that I've got with red flag laws is is a, a court says, OK, this person's dangerous. We're going to take their guns away. Now we've solved the problem, right? No mental health treatment, no mental health access, no, nothing like that. We've taken the guns and we think that the person is no longer dangerous. That to me gets it entirely backwards, but uh, that's probably a conversation agree. for another day. Congressman, uh, again, thank you so much for joining me on the program. It's been a real pleasure. I hope we get a chance to do this again soon. Sure, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate the representative joining us on the program today. I do hope we can have him back again uh, in the near future. That was a uh, really interesting conversation. I'm sorry that we had to wrap it up as quickly as we did. Uh, right now, let's turn our attention to today's Armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We will start there, case out of New York City, where uh, you know Mayor Eric Adams freaking out about the possibility of folks lawfully being able to exercise their right to uh, bear arms in self-defense. And yeah, he is complaining about the court system, too. 
But he clearly sees legal gun owners as a bigger problem than stuff like this. 38-year-old man accused of attacking New York City Parks cop just weeks after he was released from prison. Yep. Uh, Staten Island Live reports that uh, Anthony Maniscalco has an extensive criminal record that includes violent encounters with law enforcement officers and about 50 prior arrests. He was apprehended shortly after assaulting a City Parks Department enforcement uh, patrol officer uh, over the weekend. Happened on uh, June 10th, around uh, 8 p.m. Mal Maniscalco is uh, reported to have punched the officer one time in the face. Uh, Officer uh, transported to local hospital uh, for uh, treatment afterwards. Suspect uh, refused to be handcuffed. Uh, He's now been indicted on charges that include assault, obstructing government administration, resisting arrest, and disorderly conduct. Uh, Again, more than 50 prior arrests, most recently released on parole on April 28th of this year after being convicted of assault and criminal contempt and sentenced to 51 months to five years in prison. Uh, This comes after assaulting uh, two New York police officers who were trying to arrest him on Valentine's Day back in 2018. So multiple stents, however, uh, in prison for convictions of crimes committed back on uh, Staten Island, 18 months to three years for conviction of grand larceny auto back in uh, 2014, two years in prison for criminal sale of a controlled substance in uh, 2008. Uh, And the Staten Island Live says the uh, 38-year-old felon has played a role in a number of, quote, high-profile incidents. Arrested, uh, for instance, in 2016 after allegedly challenging cops to a fight in the street, kicking an officer in the chest while he was in the hospital. Uh, in that case, he ultimately pleaded guilty to assault in the third degree and was sentenced to just six months in jail. He has also served months behind bars for uh, menacing and other charges. And again, each time, I wouldn't even say that every time uh, Meniscalco gets a slap on the wrist, He served about 80% of his five-year sentence most recently. The problem is that he keeps getting out and he keeps going on to commit more crimes, some of them very serious, some of them very violent. And uh, apparently he's kind of stuck in this cycle where he's committing these offenses that, again, you and I would consider pretty serious, but the law apparently does not. And so you're caught in this cycle of rinse and repeat. And rather than try to address that issue, New York lawmakers, of course, are trying to criminalize our right to keep and bear arms. Today's armed citizen story, Clearwater, Florida, where a woman who was attacked in her bedroom managed to shoot and kill the man who was attacking her. This happened uh, Tuesday morning, just before 9 a.m. The woman called 911, said that she had woken up to find a stranger in her bedroom. The stranger identified by police is 26-year-old Justin William Wright. Uh, Police said that he did live on the same road as the victim. The uh, chief of police there in Clearwater, Florida, Daniel Slaughter, says she was able to reach out and call 911 during this attack, but the attack persisted, at which time she was able to retrieve a gun that she had lawfully. According to police, she then uh, fired that gun, striking Wright and uh, killing him. Slaughter said that the woman had injuries that were consistent with a self-defense situation. He said, quote, we're going to avoid talking about too many of the details, but I can tell you that she was asleep in that residence. She was attacked. She does have injuries that are consistent with that attack. He said the investigation is still ongoing. He said, we certainly don't want to just chalk it up to self-defense and move on. He said, there's an awful lot of work that has to occur. 
The crime scene is going to be investigated just like any other death or murder or homicide, or as in this particular case, potentially a justified homicide. So while police have not uh, said officially that the woman is not facing any charges, they have made it abundantly clear that uh, this woman in Clearwater, Florida, was in fact attacked and was defending her life when she shot and killed the man who broke into her home in the middle of the evening. Actually, they were not even in the middle of the evening, broad daylight, almost 9 a.m. in the morning. Now, today's a good deed of the day from uh, West Dallas, Wisconsin, where police and firefighters responded to the scene of a trailer fire and were swiftly able to rescue a three-year-old trapped inside uh, this caught on body cam. You can see an image there of one of the officers uh, breaking a window of the trailer to gain entry to the home. This was uh, early Sunday, Father's Day. Uh, the West Dallas police shared the video on Tuesday uh, showing the moments that uh, occurred where that three-year-old was uh, taken away. Um, it started with an officer you know, running towards the danger, running towards the flames, used a baton to break a window. Another police officer arrived then to help rescue that three-year-old. Uh, but even after he was lifted up, he was still out of reach. So a firefighter ended up having to break the glass, ripped off the window frame, and then made his way into that trailer. Uh, and 30 seconds later, that three-year-old boy identified uh, as MJ was carried away, taken to an ambulance uh, about six minutes after the initial call was made. He was taken to a hospital. At last report, was listed as stable. Family has lost almost all of their possessions in the fire, but they did not lose their child. And they said uh, on Tuesday that thank you will never be enough to the uh, individuals who helped rescue their three-year-old. So in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. Those uh, police and fire officials there in West Dallas, Wisconsin, for saving the life of that three-year-old child, we thank you for your very good deed. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program. As always, we will be back tomorrow. In fact, tomorrow could be a busy day because uh, we could see a final vote in the Senate on this gun deal. We could also see the Supreme Court release its decision in New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. I'm not guaranteeing that that's going to happen, but there are 13 cases left before the Supreme Court. They are releasing more opinions on Thursday morning. We will be watching. We will be talking about it. If it doesn't come down tomorrow, it's likely going to come down next week. So uh, we are on Bruin Watch right now, and uh, we'll be talking about it on tomorrow's Cam and Company. Be sure to check out BarryandArms.com throughout the day for even more of the latest Second Amendment news and information that you need to know about. And if you like what you see, you can always become a VIP subscriber. Just use the promo code GUNRIGHTS, and you'll get a significant savings on your VIP membership. And as our way of saying thanks, we're going to give you exclusive content. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Until then, be well. Be safe. Miss the queue again. And be free.